Well, what's up, young adults? We're glad you're with us on a Tuesday night. And I wanna ask you three questions right off the start here is uh, these three questions, I think, shape what we're gonna talk about tonight. And the questions are is, do you want to live a life that honors God? Do you want to live a life that honors God? Do you wanna live a life that blesses other people? And do you wanna live a life that is rewarding to yourself? Do you wanna live a life, first and foremost, that honors God, that blesses other people, and is rewarding to yourself? And if you're like me, the answer to those questions is a resounding yes, I wanna do all of those things. And I think the, the passage of scripture that we're gonna look at tonight really creates a great framework for how we can see this happen in our lives. No matter what stage you're at, no matter what point you're at, no matter uh, whether you just started following Jesus or that's something you're exploring, I believe that this is a framework for how we can bless other people and how we can also, it's a life that's rewarding to ourselves, but most importantly, a life that honors God. Now, we've been in this series and we've called it Work, Why It Matters. And so in week one, we really talked about a theology of work. What does that mean? It means what does God's word have to say about the actual vocational work that we do, the jobs that we had? That was week one. And then in week two, we really expanded beyond that topic and even broadened out, and Jared really spoke about how do we live a life that honors God? How do we live a life that honors God, not only in our work, but also in other areas? And, and once again tonight, we're kind of expounding the conversation, expanding the conversation and looking at uh, what we're looking at tonight is gonna impact the work that we do, but more importantly, it's just gonna, as it impacts our lives overall, it trickles down into every single area. And so we're gonna be in the book of Ephesians tonight, all right? And the book of Ephesians is found in the New Testament, and this is a letter that is written by the Apostle Paul. Now, if you don't know who Paul is, he wrote many of the letters that you find in the New Testament. And this is a letter that he wrote to the church at Ephesus. He was writing this to a group of believers, a group of people who were following after Jesus. And we're gonna be in Ephesians chapter two. I actually think Ephesians chapter two is one of my favorite chapters in all of scripture, and I really think it's one of the most important chapters in all of scripture because Paul lays out the gospel, the message of Jesus, so clearly. Now here's the deal tonight. We're gonna get practical at the end. All right, but we've gotta start big picture and we're gonna funnel down to get really practical as we go. But I want you to stay with me because if we don't get this foundational stuff right, the rest of it won't make sense, right? So we've gotta get this foundational truth right. So I wanna invite you to follow along with me, Ephesians chapter two, verses one through five. And it reads like this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the sons or following the prince of power of the air, the spirit is, the, is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
Now what's going on in Ephesians, probably an oversimplification of the timeline or the outline of this book would be that Paul is telling people, here is what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus, okay? Or in other words, here's how you relate positionally to God. And then he pivots and he says, this is now how you live your life because of your relationship with Jesus. And Ephesians chapter two, what we just read is really talking about who we are positionally with Christ and where we're gonna spend most of our time tonight in Ephesians 2.10 is really talking about, it's this pivot point in the book that then tells us not only who we are positionally with God, who we are with Christ, but then what do we do with our lives in response to that. Now Ephesians chapter two, and in the verses one through five, as we just read, this is really important here, because Paul is painting a picture so very clearly is that you are either here and you are spiritually dead, or you are somewhere over here, right, and you are spiritually alive. That he's saying you're either alive because of what Christ has done on the cross, or you are spiritually dead. Now here's the thing, God is not a God of confusion, all right? God is not a God who wants you to have a confusing relational status. His relationship status, he doesn't want you to be confused. Some of y'all need that in your dating life as well, but that's another series for uh, another day. Um, But God wants to define the relationship with you. Now here's the deal. We all were once, he's writing to a group of believers, people who have made Jesus the authority of their lives. And he's saying you were once dead in your sins. You're either 0% relationship with God or 100% relationship with God. And God is not a God of confusion. I wanna help add clarity. What scripture says, how we have life with Christ, it tells us in scripture that if you admit that you are a sinner, right? If you believe that God sent his son Jesus Fully man, fully God, came and lived a perfect life here on earth and went to a cross, even though he had committed no sins, as a payment for our sins. That he was crucified on that cross, buried in a tomb, only to rise again three days later, overcoming death and the grave, right? As we just sang about the goodness of God is running after us, that was the goodness of God chasing us down in our sin, in our trespasses, in our brokenness. That that's the goodness of God running after us. And when we admit that we are a sinner, when we believe that God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sins, and when we confess him as Lord of our lives, we have a relationship with Christ. We are spiritually alive. We have a relationship with Jesus. We are united with God in the way that it was tended to be since the beginning of time. It's as easy as admitting, believing, and confessing. That's what having a relationship with Christ looks like. And in that confession point, the Lord of your life, it's ultimately, we talk a lot here, right? And we say, we want, our desire is is that people would be saved, right? Saved from what? Saved from their sin. Our desire is that people would have a relationship with Jesus. How do you have a relationship with Jesus? Will you confess him as the Lord of your life? You're signing over the authority of your life and saying, hey, I'm not in charge. God, you are in charge. Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death. What we've earned is spiritual death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's how we are made spiritually alive. And I wanna tell you, God is not a God of confusion. He wants you to know Right In theology, we call this assurance of salvation. 
He wants you to know that you know that you know that you have a relationship with him. And how do you know that you've done that? Well, you look at what the truth of God's word says and you be obedient to that. And so a few weeks ago, I asked, man, are you, are you 0% have a relationship with God? Are you 100%? I, I said, hey, are you like, maybe think you're 50, 60, 70% sure? The deal is, is you can't be 50, 60, 70%. You either have a relationship, or you either have a relationship or you don't. There's no in between. And if you've done those things, if you've admitted, you believe, you confess Jesus is the Lord of your life, scripture is clear, the truth of God's word is clear, is that you can have assurance of your salvation. And we want you to have confidence that you have a relationship with God. That's the starting point, all right? A lot to unpack at the beginning, but it's so important. That's the foundational piece. We don't ever graduate from our need for Jesus. So Paul goes on, and after he lays that out so clearly for us, in Ephesians 2.10, which is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture, many of y'all know it, says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in, the, in them. Let's read it again. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now here's the deal. As we look at this passage of scripture, we have to ask ourselves, what exactly does this mean? When it says we are the workmanship, right? Another way you could say that is the craftsmanship, right? That we were created by God. We were crafted by God, right? He views us as his workmanship. Now, do y'all ever built something yourself or made something and you took pride in it? I've, I've been there. Um, I actually did some landscaping at my house last summer. If you drove by my house, this is the most ordinary landscaping that you've ever seen. Like, it's pretty basic, all right? but I take great pride in it. Why? Because in the heat of summer, I'm out there sweating and we're putting in this wall. It's only two, two bricks high, all right? So if you guys look up my house on Zillow or whatever, uh, you won't be impressed. But I love it, why? Because I created it, right? We, I, I took the time and my family took the time that we, we crafted this wall and this landscaping and it added value to our house and we love it because why? We crafted it, we created it. And the deal is, is God feels the exact same sense of pride and joy towards you, that he looks at you and says, you are my workmanship. You're, you're my handiwork. You know, I think of like people who can make all of these fine crafts and all of these things and how we take great value in, in the handiwork of other people, but the God of the universe created you and looks at you as his handiwork. That should change your outlook in life knowing that the creator of the universe, God in heaven, he looks at you as his handiwork. Goes on to say that you were created in Christ Jesus. And if you're like me, when I read that initially, I'm like, what exactly does that mean? Well, this word created here, it doesn't just mean to be formed and to be made, but it means to be completely transformed and to be changed. Jared mentioned this passage of scripture last week, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And this is what 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Because of the work of Jesus on the cross, you've been completely transformed and changed. Why? For good works. That God looks at you as his workmanship and that he created you in Christ Jesus to do good works. What are good works? 
I think a great definition of good works that I read in a commentary as I was preparing, and it really helped add clarity to it for me, is that good works are divinely prescribed actions that bring God glory. Good works are divinely prescribed actions that we can take that benefit other people where God gets the glory. How do we know that that's a biblical, biblically accurate statement? Matthew 5, 16, uh, uh, Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God prepared in advance good works for you to do that we have been saved, that we are God's workmanship, and we've been created to do good works. Now these good works, man, that can look like a lot of things, right? That can look like a lot of things. Here's where we, we, we start to peel back the layers and we get a little bit more practical here of how we can bless other people. Not only we can live a life that honors God, but blesses other people, and when we bless other people, it's rewarding to us. You know, I think of uh, a couple of weeks ago, I ran into one of my friends, Jamie Alexander, and Jamie works for a local irrigation company and, uh, and landscaping company. And as I was talking to him, and, and as he was chatting, he was just like, yeah, I actually have a really cool opportunity. I've gotten to pray with a lot of the clients that we work with. And I'm just like, that's good works that he's doing as he goes about doing the work that he has. He's doing the good works of God. I think about my friend John Calloway, who's the president of a logistics company, and who, because of his position in business, he's been able to leverage his company's financial gains to benefit the kingdom of God, being generous to even some of the very events that we do here at Young Adults. That's good works. I think of, uh, about all of the guys that I see on campus at Missouri State that are sharing the gospel, sitting down with guys, discipling them, sharing the hope of Jesus with them. That's good works, picking up friends, taking them to church, taking someone to get a Bible, and we see these stories. When I think about some of you who are on our team who are having gospel conversations in your workplace and leading Bible studies in your workplace, those are good works that you do, that you engage in. And as we talked about community and groups kickoff, right? Here tonight, uh, you know, we've got uh, one of the groups, anyone in, in Tim and Melinda Parrish's small group in the crowd? Give a shout for Tim and Melinda. Dale and Kelly, Kelly are here as well. Y'all, these are people who don't have to choose to open up their home to young adults and spend time every single week probably cleaning that you don't see going and buying groceries with their own money to provide meals in a space where people can come to learn and grow. It costs them something, but yet they're doing the good work that God has set before them. They have a vision and they understand that God has given them good works to do and every group leader that we have is engaging in a good work. They're sacrificing something in order for the benefit of other people, why? So that God gets the glory. Every time whenever I leave in the morning and maybe my, my wife is doing a devotional with my children, that's good work that's happening in my home. And as a side note to that, who you marry really, really matters. You wanna be looking for a spouse. You, you could be looking for a lot of things, but you want to marry someone who is going to lead your spirit, family spiritually. Ladies, you gotta be looking for that in a guy. Guys, you gotta be looking for a, a woman who is sold out for following Christ, who's gonna pour into and invest in your family, who has a vision for what your marriage and family could be. These are good works that happen. You know, there's good works in just 
the everyday life, right? But there's also good works that just amaze us and blow our mind. Uh, raise your hand if you've ever heard of Craig Rochelle. Craig Rochelle, you've heard of him. He's a pastor of uh, Life Church. They have multiple campuses all around the world. But uh, I think when Craig Rochelle gets to heaven, he's gonna hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And what I love most about what he's done how many of you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone? Probably many of you. We, we talk about the YouVersion Bible app because you can follow along sermon notes with our sermons as we preach each week. This YouVersion Bible app, right, it started with a vision. It's a good work that happened. Did you know that back in the day, back in 2008, just before the App Store launched, that the Bible, that Craig Rochelle and his team, they had a vision to get the Bible to more people. So they put it on a web browser that you could access and you could read the Bible. And there wasn't a lot of people using it. And so what did they do? They said, hey, maybe if we try this to be like a mobile version, like that people could get a mobile browser and they could read the Bible on their phones. And slowly they started building users, but it hadn't really taken off. But in 2008, something happened. The iPhone launched the App Store. Apple launched the App Store. And so the YouVersion Bible app was gonna be one of the first 200 apps that was available for use on the App Store. And they got a 19-year-old and they tasked him with building the first YouVersion Bible Bible app. I looked for his name, I couldn't even find it. But somewhere in 2008, a 19-year-old built the first version of the YouVersion Bible app that was available on the App Store. And now since then, in 2024, the YouVersion Bible app has been downloaded over a half a billion times. It's available in multiple languages, multiple translations. People all around the world have access to the truth of God's word. I was a 19-year-old who built that app. I pray all the time, this is one of my regular prayers. I say, God, if you want to, give me a version level idea. If you need somebody or you need a church or a community, like, like God, give us an idea, right, that will help to transform and change the world where we can get the message of hope even beyond that. You should start praying prayers like that. Why would we limit God and think that his works for us are something small? Maybe in this room, God has a good work planned for your life that is above and beyond far what you could ever ask, think, or imagine. I'm saying go to God and ask for a big dream. Ask him, say, hey, use me. I'm willing, I'm available. There might be someone in this room. God might have a good work prepared for you that you can't even begin to think or imagine. And I'm just so blown away that a 19-year-old built that app. Half a billion people have access to scripture because of that. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand. That should take some of the pressure off right there. They're God's work. It's not dependent, it's dependent upon your obedience, right? But it's not dependent, like we don't have to wear it, like God's got it. We just gotta keep walking and being faithful. And that's what the verse continues on and it says, it says that we should walk in them. God prepared these works beforehand and that we should walk in them. Now, when we see the word walk in the New Testament, it's very often not referring to like the physical action of walking, but it's talking about the way that you live your life. So what prevents us from just living out and living in these good works that God has prepared for us? You know, as I started to ask myself that question, I looked at my own life. Where do, where do I, you know, kind of stumble and fall? And I think a lot of it comes down to pride. Very often, pride is the, the killer that Satan uses to prevent us from doing the good works that God has planned for us. 
I think pride is often, um, it, it, we, we, we think of it in a covert or an overt sense. It's very out there, it's boisterous, it's loud. It's this overconfidence, right? And confidence in ourselves. But I believe that Satan twists and lies and this like kind of covert hidden pride slowly comes in and kills us. How does it come up? Do you really believe that God has good works for you to do? Do you really believe that? Has your past, because of what you've done in the past, do you think that you're prevented from doing good works in the future? What God's forgiven you of, you won't even let it go, and so you can't even think or imagine that there's a pathway for you to do good works. Maybe some of you think, man, I don't have the skill necessary. I'm not talented like that. I can't talk like that or I can't uh, you know, lead people like that or whatever and you doubt the skill that you have and you don't think, God, you haven't given me anything that I can do good works with. Do you understand how that's prideful? Because Ephesians 2.10 isn't just an idea, it's a promise. So what you're telling God whenever you're thinking that you can't do anything for me you're saying, hey God, I know you said you had good works for me, and yeah, you're the author and creator of my life, and uh, you formed me and made me, but actually you're wrong, like I'm not actually, don't have any good works to do. You're, you understand how that's prideful, right? Because you're telling God, no God, I know your word says that, but I actually believe this, and I believe that Satan uses that lie to stifle people, and what you need to know in here is that that is a promise of God's word that you were created to do good works and that you can walk in them, so you have to fight that lie. You have to fight that lie. God has and will, has good works for you and he will use you when you're obedient and you follow after him. Sometimes pride comes in this form of like, well, I, I don't need God. And if you're like me, I wouldn't outwardly say like, yeah, God, I don't need you. But sometimes I live as if I have no dependence on God. And I mentioned this last semester that whenever I was going through a hard time in the fall, I kinda had this thought where I'm like, God, like, I just don't wanna have to like lean into you and depend on you this much. I don't, I don't really actually like wanna have to do that. And it was this, this light bulb moment where God was like, that's exactly your problem, Logan. You wanna do everything without me, but you need to be dependent upon me. You know, we, we might not outwardly say, God, I don't need you, but yet we look at scripture and we don't read our Bibles. And so we say like, God, I, I know that I can't, I wouldn't say out loud that I don't need you, but yet I act like I don't need you and that I don't spend any time in your word. I act like I don't need you because I don't spend any time in prayer. I act like I actually don't need you because I'm not gonna join a group and I'm not gonna be in community. I'm not gonna be in a place where I can be fully known and transparent and attack the sin in my life. So I actually don't don't fully depend on you, God. I wanna live a life that is dependent upon God. And that's hard to do, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm right there with you where there's days where I struggle to actually depend upon God. But I was thinking about this and as I was talking over the message with Jared, we just came off of 21 days of prayer and fasting, right? And what happens when you don't eat? Your body depends on food. And so what do you do? Because you're hungry, you eat. Because you're thirsty, you drink. We depend on food and drink for nutrients and hydration. And so what do we do? We engage in it because we depend on it. Do we view God in the same way? You know, Timothy Keller, who well, was a well-known pastor who recently passed away, he talked about, he went through this season where he was struggling to want to read sometimes and his wife painted this picture. 
And she's like, hey, if you were deathly ill and every day you had to take a pill or you would die, you would never miss a day. You would take that medication, you would make sure no matter what happened, you took that medication. And she's like, what if we approached the word of God like that, that we so desperately needed it? And I'm not painting a legalistic uh, framework here that if you miss a day somehow, like, I, I get it, that it's tough, it's hard to develop that discipline, okay? But what if we approach God's word like that? We took it that serious, like God, I know that I am fully dependent every single day on you. I need to grow in that. I think if we can grow in that in young adulthood, who knows what the rest of our life has in place for us. You know, and what's the deal here is, I wanna live a life that honors God, that blesses other people, and is rewarding to myself. Do you know that God like wants you to enjoy your life? Okay, God wants you to enjoy your life. I think there were times when I was in like middle school, early high school, and I'm like, man, I don't know if God like wants me to have joined this. Like, am I just totally supposed to, to like, th this isn't supposed to be fun? No, a relationship with God is full of joy. God wants you to enjoy your life, and he knows that when you're living a life that is focused on honoring him, blessing other people, that it is gonna be rewarding to you. And I can tell you, when I walk with people and I get to spend time with people who approach their life like this all the time, and they wouldn't trade it for anything because they know the reward that exists. And so if you're in here tonight and you're empty, you're tired, you're tired of just going through the motions and you want some more purpose in your life, I would tell you start living for God and let him just infuse your life with the purpose and the plan that he has for you because it's a good one and it's rewarding. I look at some of the greatest blessings in my life and it comes from following God and walking in obedience to him. It's not gonna disappoint you. The world wants to paint a different picture. Go do X, Y, and Z that don't align with God's word and that's gonna make you happy. You might be happy for a little while, but it's not gonna give you that joy and that contentment that is deep inside of your soul. God has good works prepared in advance for us. You know, and I brought this, this up here and uh, you guys will be able to see it a little bit and uh, this is a picture actually just ripped it off the wall back in our back room, so I have to put it back uh, tomorrow. So um, hopefully it goes back. Uh, this is a picture of the charter members of High Street back in 1936. What does charter members mean? This means they're the people who helped to begin High Street as a church. 1936, y'all. We're coming up, we're closing in on this church has been active in Springfield for almost 100, 100 years. And I just think like all of these people in this picture, do you think that they could have ever imagined that in 2024 there would be hundreds of young adults gathered on a Tuesday night? That the work of this church would still be going on, that millions of dollars have been given to missions, that millions of dollars have been invested into this city and to the people of this city, that the gospel has continued to be shared and that people are still being saved. The work that they started in 1936 continues on today. And this isn't just the story of High Street, right? This is the story of God's people because there's hundreds of other churches, thousands of other churches across our country. There's thousands of other people who have done work in the name of Jesus that continues today, divinely prescribed actions that continue to bear spiritual fruit. I don't know about you, but I wanna live a life that when I die, 
I know that generations after me will continue to be impacted. And the only way I can do that is by continuing to engage in the good work that God has set before me. You know, every, every Tuesday night that I speak, I get to look out at this crowd and I see new faces all the time, but you all don't always know the people who came before you, who have moved locations, moved on in life, took another job, moved somewhere else, finished school, who invested in this community and made a place so that on Tuesday nights you could gather and you could hear a message of Jesus and that you have community. There are group leaders this semester who will invest in and pour into people and it will yield fruit. And I just wanna live a life, I want this community to have a vision for the good works God has given us. It's amazing to me and humbling that he allows us in on it. But I know this, myself, our team, all of you, man, we just gotta keep stepping in to the works that God has for us. And as I close tonight, I truly believe that God is not a God of confusion. If you're in here and you're uncertain, what's gonna happen to you when you die? You're uncertain. Will I spend eternity with heaven, in, in heaven with God? God doesn't want you to be confused. He wants you to admit your sin, to believe in Jesus and to confess him as your Lord of your life. So that, why? So that you can be saved, saved from your sin, saved from the trespasses that you committed. 